and welcome to this very special episode in the first season of the Silicon Caribe podcast, where as usual, I'll share with you stories about Caribbean entrepreneurs that I find online and out there in the wild who are using technology and very innovative thinking to launch all kinds of digital businesses. I'm going to tell you who they are and what they're doing and, of course, what they're thinking. I'm taking you to that part of the Caribbean that's beyond the beach and going digital. I'm your host, Ingrid Riley. And on this very special episode, with me today is Trevor Forrest. He's a founder of 876 Solutions, which is a provider of comprehensive tech solutions serving the Caribbean small and medium-sized businesses. Did I get that correct, Trevor? Yes, you did. (laughs) Beautiful. So I want us to have a definitive discussion today about a thing that's been having, um, giving people a lots of heebie-jeebies. It's a very prickly situation. It's been a very polarized issue. And this is the issue of a national identity system. It's called NIDS. Every time you mention the word NIDS, people start to get their back up. Why is that, Trevor? Um, well, I, I think, you know, given all of the, you know, all of the noise around what, national IDs um, are, what they're supposed to do, and the, you know, the positive and negative stigma associated with it, I think um, a lot of what causes people a fair amount of consternation is really and truly just a lack of understanding of, of what national identity systems um, typically try to do. Right, which uh, and, what, and what is a national identity system, and and why should the average you know Jamaican care? Yeah, so so why one of the if 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 you if you're looking at where most countries in 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 the world are going, you know the whole conversation of a digital society and the whole idea behind that is to make services more available, um, more engaging, and more um, efficient. Um, there are certain things that, you know, governments and, and businesses need in order to provide that. Now, one of the key components of making uh, countries move into the, the digital age, the, the whole digital society, is the ability to um, know about citizens um, and know about each citizen uniquely, because each citizen is unique. Um, And one of the ways that governments uh, seek to do that is to give citizens a unique identifier. Now, there are are many identifiers that that people have already. Right. We have the TRN, which is a tax registration number. We have our passports. We have some level of biometrics and everything. So what more does government want and why do we need more? Right. Why, so, do we need a, why do we need NIDS? Right. So one of the, one of the first challenges with all the ones that you named, um, let, let's start with, with the TRN. The TRN isn't a unique identifier because when we say unique identifier, you actually want something that nobody else can have. There is only one of it. Um, and it is something that uniquely identifies you from the time you you were born to the time you're no longer with us and then even after that. Now, the thing with a TRN, TRN was not designed um, 
in, in such a way that, that it is unique because one person can have more than one TRA, believe right. it or not. And right. Similarly with a passport, a passport is a, um, as it exists now, a physical document that, that actually has um, features within it that, that make the passport easy to identify. However, it is not to say that the passport cannot be um, forged. Um, it's not to say that a passport cannot be um, assigned to more than one passport and hence passport number can be assigned to the same person. Um, very easy case in point, if you're a diplomat, you have your own personal passport, yet you have a diplomatic passport. Right. Again, uniqueness is absent. Now, now the, the, the key behind a, a national ID is regardless of how many different forms of perishable identifiers you have on there, this one will be the only unique one that is, is a, a representation of you. Right and so, so is it like a, a number? Is it a is it a card? Um, you know, break it down and tell us what exactly is this? Is this so having an having NIDs? Each individual, each Jamaican will have a is it a NIDs number or a NIDs card? So different countries um, implement it in different ways. Uh, as far as the national identity system being um, contemplated for Jamaica. Currently, you'd be getting two, two things um, of, of importance, a unique number and a card. Okay. Um, and that card is a very special card um, because it has, much like a passport, some very unique features that um, prevent it from being forged easily and, and uh, allows for authentication to be more um, robust. So, so those are the two things that, that a, a citizen would get. Um, the card itself uh, would, would, be, would also have a certain level of, of intelligence because it would have certain bits of, of, of data on it that are unique to the, to the card holder. Mm -hmm. um, and that would allow use of that card in, in, in various different ways, um, which, which would, you know, allow for services to be delivered without the need for asking a whole lot of mundane questions, which is a pain point for many, many of our citizens where, you know, you go from one place to another and they keep asking you the same questions over and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it's, and it's as if, Look, you guys, especially government services, right? So you guys are all one government. Why is it that I have to give you the same information over and over again? Right. Um, why is it that you don't have all of this info um, so that and share it across all of these entities um, so that when I come to you and I identify myself um, with my identifier, the unique identifier, um, so, so let me let me see if I understand you so far. So, NIDS basically will be a government tool um, to manage the information of each citizen of the country, right? So, it's going to be a NIDS number and a NIDS card, and that NIDS number and NIDS card will be the only thing you'll ever need to do business with government. That's that's the idea behind it. Yes. 
So you won't, you wouldn't, ha- you wouldn't have to need a, you wouldn't have to need a, a TRN number. You wouldn't have to walk with your passport. NIDS is the ultimate um, digital ID you will need to do business with the government of Jamaica. Right, and that's and 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 that's the that's the idea because um, TRNs will still exist because remember TRNs were designed for a specific purpose, so. Uh, individuals who have to, sorry, not individuals, businesses right. are not people, technically, but businesses who have to uh, engage with government have to have an identifier. Um, and that's typically the tax registration number. But you could also look at the t- the, the a NIDS ID as being a, a more robust TRN because Again, it is a unique identifier. So individuals um, who, who, who need to, to do uh, business with the, the tax services, the tax services would, would easily be able to identify you and you wouldn't have to go in all the time um, to, to get a TRN. The only time you'd have to do that is if you are starting a new business. Okay, okay. So, so, so- there are advantages of having... Uh, a unique identifier, but it doesn't say that um, all the others would die. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's just that that this one, from a personal standpoint, from the individual, the citizen standpoint, would would allow you and allow who you're doing business um, with to validate you without mistake. Gotcha. So, so let let so let, I want to talk um, talk about two things right now. So, it, you know, NIDS had an initial um, launch um, in the country. It didn't go so well because the communication strategy was just kind of off, and because of a, a number of things. Why? Let let tell me your own opinion as to why the 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 initial launch of um of a NIDS program didn't go so well, and also what was missing in terms of why didn't people personalize that NIDS was actually of benefit to them. And what are these benefits anyway? So let's start with why was, um, you know, this initial launch so botched that people like, we didn't trust it. We don't know what it's about. What, why thing that happened? Right. So let, let me, let me preface this by saying what I'm going to say here are, are my views, my opinions. Um, right. I have to, I have to, to preface it that way because of, what I used to do and where I used to work. Right. <laughs> right. So, you're, you're, you're previously in government and you're previously an advisor. And of course, that is no longer the case. That has not been the case for quite a while. And so you are here as entrepreneur, Trevor Forrest, yeah. um, and CEO of 876 Solutions, who has a vast range of um, knowledge before that um, dispensation and, of course, after that dispensation. So right. I totally understand that. Right. So, so firstly, I think the, the, what's important to understand here is two things. There are two aspects of needs that existed. Um, one um, is, is the National Identification and Registration Act, which is the legislation around needs. And the other is the actual National Identification System, which is the, the technology, the software, the hardware, and all of that stuff. Now, what, what failed, and failed quite miserably, miserably was 
the legislation that would govern the technology and, and, and the system itself. And, right. and it's important to look at the two things as two different things, right? So the, the, the legislation failed because um, of a constitutional challenge um, that in, in effect said, look, some of the requirements and clauses born out in the legislation law um, were not constitutional. Um, the main one um, being that if you didn't get a national identity um, number, um, it almost amounted to a criminal offense, and you mm. could be charged for that. Now, that, in my view, um, was was a fundamental failing of of you know the casters of that legislation because 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 quite frankly you don't need something like needs to be mandatory by law you don't need to force that on people because in today's day and age especially when you're moving towards a digital society what you want to do is you want to make it so that this thing appeals to the needs of people and the services you want to provide, right? So, Absolutely. So, so instead of trying to, to force it on people um, because you want to, to, to move things along, no, um, make it your choice, but make the choice whether you want efficient services or not. Yeah, make it compelling. Exactly. Um, yeah. so, so make it you know, almost a criminal offense if you don't have one was 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 doomed to failure from the beginning. So that, that was that was the first and, and perhaps the, the biggest failing of that. But this but but, but that is the legislation, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So that has since been um, struck down by the the, the, the Supreme Court. Um, it is being redrafted and a lot of the, the fewer around it was there was a lot of noise out there. Um, a lot of misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, and so on. And, you know, I don't think the, the government did a very good job of trying to explain to people what the value of right. a national identity is. Because, look, if you are a citizen and you complain about inefficiency of of government service. If you complain about standing in a line in the tax office or or, or at, at NIS or at RGD, or if you have a problem with, with how inefficient government provides services to you, then you want what a national identification system can provide in, in being able to make those services more efficient. Now, NITS by itself doesn't do that, but it is one of the most critical components to realize the efficiencies that people are craving. Right. And what other benefits that people, I, you believe are, it is compelling that people would say, hey, I want a NITS ID and I want a, a NITS card. What do you believe are the other compelling benefits of, of having, of, of somebody, of, of the average Jamaican having this? Well, I mean, it, it's I mean, when you talk about frictionless transactions, and I mean not only with government, just across the board, being able to to demonstrate that you are who you say you are, that's very important. Now, how does that manifest itself? One of the reasons you have to fill out so many documents when you go to an establishment like a bank or an insurance company or any one of those entities that you're looking 
for services from whenever they ask to fill out all of these documents and so on. It's really for them to have a record, an, an indisputable record of who you are. Mm-hmm. Now, now, every time you go to a different insurance company, you fill out the same info because they don't share it, right? Right. Now, if you consider a scenario where if the information that they need to validate you, they could simply query somewhere and say, okay, this person has come into my office with this card that has this number and this information, um, and they say that they're John Brown. Um, if they could simply query somewhere really quickly and say, is this number assigned to John Brown? Which means John Brown is actually who is sitting in front of me. Mm-hmm. And they're querying an authority, a valid authority like the government, then they wouldn't have to ask you for that information anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. now a valid authority says that yes, the holder of that that card or, or that number who is sitting in front of you is indeed who they say they are. They say they are, right. Gotcha. No, no, gotcha. he would say, well, you know, I could walk in there and, and give a wrong number. Yes, but but then what happens is the service that you went in there for, you won't get because the number is not yours. Gotcha. Right? Gotcha. So, so, so the system balances itself out because now what happens is people who actually want the service and they want it in a very efficient way um, now start to see how frictionless these things can be when all I need to provide you with is, is a number and that number will validate me. You know, and that completely eliminates the need for me to fill out all these papers so they will have on record that I came in and I filled out that document. They don't need that really because the only reason they ask you for all of that is because they need to have a record of that. Gotcha. So gotcha. all of that kind of stuff gets eliminated, which saves time, right? Because now you don't have to provide all of that info. Um, um, so, so now things become more frictionless and, and efficient because there is a central, so to speak, way and authority with basic information about you. Right. So there, this means that you save time. There's no stand, standing in long lines um, necessarily. Um, and so, you know, the nightmare of us having to, to say, oh, my goodness, I'm going to go do business with government today at with, with, um, whatever particular agency, you're going to have to basically take off the entire day because it's going to be problems. This is this this NIDS number, this NIDS card um, can really be convenient, can really be efficient, can really save you time on a daily basis in how you do business with the government of Jamaica. Exactly. And if you think about now, where a lot of people are now forced to do things remotely or online, yeah. Um, if I went online, right? Now what's happening is these inefficient processes are being simulated online. So I go online now and I have to fill out these documents, fill out these forms. If the online interface with the citizen is now such that they say, look, put in your national identity and you don't have to fill out the form because now I validate against a database. And if that database has sufficient information, for for you, the system fills out the form for you. Mm. So you don't so now you're streamlining even the online digital interface 
between service and citizen. So even when you move online, um, you, you, you can realize some of those advantages as well. Gotcha, gotcha. This this is this is good. And as as we talk about, you know, in this time, I mean, we're you know we're we're having this conversation under the cover of COVID nineteen. You know, this 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 um virus pandemic that has you know the world pretty much put the world on pause, and so we're all you know most of us sheltering in place um, to keep ourselves safe and healthy, and trying to balance that, of course, with um you know our families and trying to do business, trying to figure out what's going to be left to do um, business. And yeah, we're all forced online. We're online, um, as they say, the Caribbean digital economy um, is being speeded up forcibly because we now need to figure out how can we buy our groceries online? How can we get our fruits and vegetables online? How can we do some business um, without having to leave our homes and put ourselves in danger? You know what I mean? And this, this brings home even more so this, you know, the whole debate of saying that we want a digital society. What exactly is that? So, so that's the question many people don't always know the answer to because every time you, you know, I, I know like when I query some policymakers, you say, you know, we want to move to a digital society. They say, well, okay, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is, what are the, 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 the main components of, of a digital society, and um, there, there are many, there are many schools of thought as to as to what that that really should look like. Um, but what I think is important, especially for for you know each country, is is for for each each country or each government to to actually seek to define what their digital society should look like, right? And, and once, once that is done, I think all the efforts that are needed to, to move us there, um, um, you know, can be, can be realized. Um, so, so I think if you look at, you know, uh, some of the, the posted countries, um, uh, Estonia being one yes. of the main ones um almost every aspect of of a citizen's um existence and interaction with services and and even you know with with their government is electronic you know from 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 voting all the way to to getting um, uh, you know citizen services, pensions, and all of those kinds of things, to paying bills, yeah, right. All of these things are are part and parcel to what what you know the the, the digital society uh, or a digital society should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think you know Jamaica right now is is lacking as it relates to a digital society policy mm, because okay. a policy um, you know would kind of you know let people know um, what such a thing looks like and what we're trying to accomplish as a country when we talk about digital society right mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people don't understand it and if you if you put those things out there then things like 
a national identification and its importance start to become clear. Yeah. So, so you know, if if you don't if you don't do that, then then you're going to find that um, you know the the disinformation, misinformation, and and you know fear and doubt statements are going to overtake you because um, people simply don't understand, and if they don't if they don't have a, a, a reputable source to 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 go to, then they're going to believe the first thing. They hear. That's right. All right. So we do have some. We do have a, an issue in terms of communicating what that digital society is. I mean, because one of the things, one of the things that, and I remember you saying that they're like set. They're like nine tenets of digital digital citizenship. That's correct. Um, and let me let me kind of run them through really quickly for you. Um, one, you have digital access, which is um, defined as full electronic participation uh, by citizens, right? Um, then you have what's called digital etiquette. So how you conduct yourself in digital spaces and, and so on. And then that's buttressed by, by digital law. So, so you have to have a legislative framework around which, you know, access and etiquette can be managed. And, you know, you know when people need to, to understand how they should function and what they should do, then, then you have law. That, that buttresses that. Then you have digital commerce, which we all know, you know, buying and selling our goods um, electronically, digitally, and so on. And you have digital communication, which is just, you know, we do that all the time. That's electronic exchange of information, right? Right. And then a, a big one um, is digital literacy. Because in order for people to really effectively use and participate you have to be you have to understand the stuff understand the technology so learning technology and and teaching you know how to properly use these technologies is important right then um, you have digital rights and responsibilities which which you know when you talk about um uh, the freedoms and responsibilities that go along with those freedoms that extend to people who are functioning in this digital digital space. Um, mm-hmm. That is important. Um, then you have uh, what you call digital health and wellness. Because one of the things that, that is often overlooked is when people are immersed in, in digital spaces, um, there are health um, uh, uh, you know, aspects associated with that. Um, because now if you spend a lot of time in front of a computer, you have to factor in things like exercise. Um, if you spend a lot of time in front of a computer and don't interact with human beings, there is sociological, psychological um, effects of that kind of thing. So you have to have defined some sort of digital health and wellness framework that says, look, even though um, we're promoting a digital society, um, we don't want everybody locked up in an house and don't interact with people. That's right. We don't want people to sit in front of their computers or on their couches and become obese. That's right. <laughs> you know? That's a whole other problem. Yep. Right. So you have digital health and wellness. And, and the last one, the ninth one is digital security. Which, which we're all, you know, 
familiar with, um, you know, cybersecurity. But but uh, digital security really encompasses all that. Where we talk about how to ensure that what you're doing in the digital spaces is secure because digital information is 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 very portable, um, very mobile, and as such. Um, you know the security of that information is 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 very important, um, and because it is so portable, it can move from point A to point B very quickly. Right. And you can know this, or you also have a situation where you may not know when it is being moved. And that is how laws are important because these laws are what um, ensure that you know in a digital society in a digital space, digital age, your information, which will become your most important and valuable asset, is protected. Yeah. And what laws do we need in place um, to ensure that um, the Jamaican citizen, you know, there is a high trust and of course that the system works as it's supposed to for all who is involved? What are what are the what are the key um, legislations that that must must happen now, and where do you know where where they are in terms of um, you know in the process with the government? Right. So we're we're not doing too badly as a country compared to our other Caribbean neighbors and some in the world. Um, so right now we have a number of laws that speak to you know function in in, in digital spaces. One is the Electronic Transactions Act. Um, which speaks to um, the, the legislative framework around doing electronic transactions, whether it be buying, selling, um, you know, electronic paperwork, signatures, and so on. So that, that's there. Um, that's been there since 2006. Um, it, it does need some review, but it is there, and it's, 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 it's quite complete. We also have um, the Cyber Security, uh, sorry, Cyber Crimes Act mm-hmm. um, uh, that that exists um, that has also been around for some time, and it has also uh, it also requires some review, but it is there. Um, the next one um, that exists that is in dire need of review is the Telecommunications Act. Um, that is in the process of being reviewed, albeit slow, and I think the government is coming up with what's going to be called an ICT, a new ICT Act. Um, but the Telecommunications Act, which speaks to really the telcos and the way they function, has been around since 2002. Um, ah, very okay. Um, and it is not representative of the realities of today. Mm. Uh, then you have the Radio and Telegraph Act, which a lot of people are not aware of, that deals with post and telegraph and so on. Uh, that too needs to really be repealed and, and rolled into a new piece of legislation, which is being considered as part of the ICT legislation that is coming. Right. And perhaps the most, one of the most far-reaching and important ones is the data protection legislation. Now, 
um, the bill um, was laid in Parliament. Um, the Joint Select Committee met, got feedback from um, about 26 or more stakeholders. Right. Um, and just last week, or I think week before last, the final report from Joint Select Committee was presented to Parliament, mm -hmm. um, which pretty much said that um, all of the feedback was 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 taken into consideration, and mm -hmm. a new draft bill is going to be put together mm -hmm. to be tabled in Parliament for debate. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the the hope is is that. That will be done sometime this year. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. We'll see how that works. But that piece of legislation is 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 landmark um, for a number of reasons. But the main one, in my view, is the fact that that is going to be the first piece of legislation that will put the Jamaican citizen in control of their own data. Right, which is really important, and isn't that isn't that pretty much the the underpinning of of why they you know people don't trust like who, who wants my information, how much of it do they want, and and how do I have control over over my own da personal data because it's mine, it's not the government's, right. it's mine. So that, and, and 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 that was that now the second failing of of the, the national identity system in my view because one of the biggest problems that we have not to, and it's not innate to Jamaica if people don't trust the people um, which extends to the government so so there was a lot of concern about okay if I'm giving all of this info to the government what are they going to do with it how are they going to treat it how are they going to protect it how are they going to make it absolutely safe? absolutely what do I have as a citizen if I'm not cool with how they're dealing with it exactly. Now, that is covered in the data protection legislation. So there was a, a, a huge school of thought that said, look, data protection legislation ought to have been there before or in concert with national identification legislation. Because right. if you want to engender trust and comfort with citizens, you need to show them that even though we have or we're asking you for your data, there is law that says we have to deal with it a certain way. And if right. we, you have recourse. Right. Well, that, that wasn't there. <laughs> oh, no, I never wonder why, why certain things fail, but yes. <laughs> so, so I think, I think the, the, the sequencing of things um, was, was, was a little off. And, and in fairness to the government, they had some, some pressing priorities, you know, funding, etc., that, that they had to to deal with. But those are the kinds of things that that contributed to, you know, the national identification and registration legislation not getting to where it needed to get, so that the national identification system could, you know, pro progress to where it needed to. Right. Well, let, me, let me even do a little bit of sidebar here. As we talk about, you know, engendering trust um, with a Jamaican citizen through legislation and, but, and also communication. I mean, on a serious note, I mean, you've been in the tech industry, um, you know, for over 10 years. Um, do, 
Exactly, right? 10, 15 to almost 20 years. We don't want to age ourselves now, Trevor. We don't want to age ourselves. Right? We know we're not, we're not over 30. We know over yeah. 30. Right? <laughs> but I mean, do does 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 um an individual Jamaican un- really understand the value of their personal data? Um both an know, intrinsic I, value as well as an extrinsic value? I don't, I don't think it's entirely clear to the majority of Jamaicans. So the concept of a person being a product is, is lost on many people. Absolutely. Um, and and I, I think that it is not until something bad happens that demonstrates the value of your personally identifiable information, PII, um, that people start to really stop and say, but hold on a second. <laughs> So how do I control this? Yeah, even even uh, just look at now. I mean, now is the time where um, e-commerce, you know, is 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 blossoming like crazy. At least at least trying to. Um, you know, people want to go to a particular website, order their fruits, veggies, food, whatever it is, and we have a number of um, of established, you know, online food and delivery services, online grocer, grocer, groceries. And of course, because of we're in this pandemic and we're sheltering at home across the entire island, um, right. you know, people, a lot of new entities have popped up, you know, to offer you errand, errand delivery, to offer, um, hey, you can come, you know, we'll sh- take your, you know, from, from, from store to your door, we will get your pharmacy stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But how do we, and we're giving people information we're giving people or um name or right. address or telephone number um in some you know or, or credit cards that kind of a thing that is of serious value yeah yeah and and where and and while some of us are used to it because we've been doing it for, for years and years some people are new to it but even those who you know you and i are, are old school to it this is information that we're passing on to a third party and i can tell you i don't know about you I don't have not read any details in terms of how they they you know store my information or who they can possibly share it with. I mean, you may just carry some some things. Oh well, ac- term, you accept these terms and conditions, but ninety nine point nine percent of us do not read those terms and conditions, right? <laughs> and, 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 I mean, I'll give you. Let me let me give you a couple of scenarios. Like, I mean, we 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 share so much information with you know Facebook, Instagram. Um, you have an Android or Apple phone. There's so much information that you know you 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 store on those devices, and by as as a result, you share with 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 Google or Apple, um, and you you have absolutely no idea what happens to that. No no clue where it's done, where it goes, how it's treated with, and so on. In fact, um. You know, we have a very hot topic going on right now in the country where where a young lady um, passed uh, after after having her her baby. Yeah, and yeah, Julian. Yes. One of the one of the challenges that um, her her family is having, um, and and it's not only her family. This this extends to many people in Jamaica is getting their medical records from the hospital. And mm. I've, heard, I've heard statements being made by some people um, in the medical space. It says, medical records are the property of the hospital. Really? <laughs> really? My medical information. Information, yes. Information to me. 
is the property of the hospital. Absolutely now, not. Now, now, this can be said because there is no legislation that mitigates against that reality. Right. right? But, but let us think about that case, your medical records. Do you know how a doctor's office or a hospital or anybody in custody of that information treats with that information? Absolutely not. Have you ever gone to a doctor's office and seen the file room? Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, my my I have my my personal personal doctor, and she has a, you know a file file there that she sticks in the usual um, filing cabinet. Exactly. Um, yeah. Have you ever questioned the 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 security? measures and systems at a doctor's office that has your records on computer. Where is that no, stored? No, there's, just an, there's just an assumption. There's an assumption of, of client, client um, um, patient, doctor, you know. Um. Yeah, but, but these places possess information on hundreds, if not thousands of citizens, but right. do not uh, at all exercise the level of of robust protection that a bank does. Mm. Now, is your banking information less valuable than your health information? Yeah, no, not Questions at all. So, so when you talk about protecting information um, and the value of this kind of information, now you start to see why, you know, um, legislation is important. Um, to, to, to ensure that your data is protected um, um, at the same time that you have legislation that's in place to seek to make um, existence and functioning and conducting business in a digital society frictionless, right? Yeah. You, you can't have one without the other, or you shouldn't, but it's very important to do that. So, so, so it is important to have, you know, the right legislation um, you know, to ensure that when we move into that digital society space, when we digitize, you know, business and government, that the right protections are there, the right laws are there, and, and, and so on, because it is of utmost importance to know that wherever I send my data or whoever I share it with, there has to be some law, has to be some recourse for me as a citizen Um for when I feel that my information is not being treated right. Right now, if I don't like how Facebook is treating with my information, what's my course of action? I can delete my profile. That's about it. But the damage has already been done because yeah. Facebook still has your data. That's, that's for sure. That is for right. sure. So deleting your profile simply says you can't use them anymore, but they can still use you. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah, yeah. So, so similarly with Google, with Apple, with with you know um, any any entity that you engage with for a service. I mean, think about this 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 situation, um, Ingrid, which which kind of allows me to segue into a, a concept that is is very important, and I think people need to look at. But whenever you give an entity, whether it's a bank, Amazon, uh, Apple, uh, Google your information online, right? Because they're saying, to get this service, you need to provide me with this information so I know about you, right? Right, right. What do they give you back to satisfy you that they are who they say they are? 
Mm. Right? Because a lot of times people go to these websites um, and the assumption is that it's a legitimate website. Yeah. They provide information, but that entity never gives them something back outside of probably an about a statement or, or, or terms of use or privacy policy that you can read. But that is nothing compared to what you have just given them. Absolutely. So what have they given you back to make you comfortable that they are who they claim to be? This is we a very important question. We never thought we, of it like that. Yeah, we give them the info because they have a service they, we need. But they don't validate themselves to us. We have to validate ourselves to them. How do we change that? Uh, right. So um, so that kind of leads me to, to, to uh, a, a, a concept that, that, that I think, you know, more people need to, to, to really become aware of and, and, and understand fully. Um, and it's called self-sovereign identity. Mm-hmm. Um, SSI. And, and, and what that in a nutshell really means is that I am in full control of my identity and everything that, um, you know, demonstrates my identity, right? And because I'm in full control of that, whenever someone wants to engage me, right, I can then let them know what they can use, right? So, so it is now taking the concept of a person being a product and, and turning it up a notch because, yeah, I'm a product. My data is valuable to you. So now I'm going to tell you what you can do with it, right? Self-sovereign identity allows that to happen. So all of my medical records, all of my personal identification, everything that is, is an imprint or footprint of me in a digital form is controlled by me. Okay. And, and, and the whole concept of self-sovereign identity is going to become more and more important because in order for people to trust a lot of these systems in a digital space or digital society or digital age that they're going to engage with, the only way they're going to feel secure or trust these systems because of the, 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 the fierce mobility of, of electronic information is if they can control and see what is being done with the data that they give to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, 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 so the whole concept of self-sovereign identity, which is something I think... Um, really needs to be considered with national identity systems um, where you put in the citizen's control what the... So you have you can collect the data, in, right? But you can't use that data unless I approve it. Gotcha. Right? So I give you a whole bunch of information. So you have it. But you know what I also have? I have eyes into who you shared that data with because mm-hmm. in order for you to share it, you have to ask me. Gotcha. So is, right? so is this is this concept of a self-sovereign identity, SSI, is it something that can be baked into um, our laws 
and and which law would it be baked into that will you know make sense for us right so 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 it is something that ought to be considered in our legislative frameworks because this um is and 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 and, and let me let me let me let me kind of qualify that so built into the data protection legislation is the concept of self-sovereign identity, but it is not spelled out explicitly. And as a result, it's subject to interpretation. Uh, not good. So we have to get, we have to have, make sure that it is actually um, properly detailed. So all stakeholders feel comfortable um, knowing that, yeah, I am protected here and over here, I'm also protected. We're, we're both comfortable. All right, let's proceed. Right. But, but not only do you have to do that because you have to strike a balance, you also have to ensure that the technology and systems to support that mm-hmm. are also in place because you could have legislation that renders existing technology useless. Yeah. So that, that's kind of like, you know, when the police try to do electronic tickets and, you know, they, they started to go out on the road with, with handheld <laughs> devices, issued tickets, and then when the tickets went to court, the judge said this is of no use throughout the case because there was no legislation that said you could use electronic tickets. Yeah, that was that was that was a massive, massive, so, massive. So, so there has to be, you know, a balance to that where where yes, you have to have the laws, but the systems themselves also have to to facilitate this kind of thing, which is where um, um, technologies like blockchain. Um, uh, become very useful because mm-hmm. for self-sovereign identities to work, you need platforms that one ensure that you know when data is used, an immutable record of that data and how it was used is 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 placed somewhere. And when it's placed somewhere, nobody can tamper with it. So it's always going to be a true reflection of what happened, um, either with the data or the transaction or, you know, who, who the data was shared with and so on. So right. you're not going to have a situation where, you know, somebody shared my data and there's no record of it or whatever record existed of it, somebody went in and removed the record. No. And, ju- and just as a quick um, sidebar, just, just quickly... Um define blockchain and, and what that technology does does for us again for those who may may not um be so inclined to know what 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 blockchain technology is and what it does right so, so blockchain technology really it's 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 a uh, an extremely secure it's a cryptographically graphically secured um immutable ledger um, that's that's the, the simplest way to look at it. Now, cryptographically secure means that it is secured using extremely advanced encryption. Mm-hmm. So all the information that is stored in there is is, is very very secure. Um, it is, and, and when we say it's immutable, we mean that once something is written to the blockchain, it cannot be changed. Right now, this is this is this is very very useful. It has some very great pros and some interesting cons as well. But it its whole, um, you know, core uh, functionality is is based on engendering trust in a digital right. age. Because um, one of the things that people 
even myself, you know, you know, digital, um, you know, practitioners like ourselves, you always are wary of what happens with electronic information. Yeah. So one of the things that you have to appreciate is when you're functioning in an electronic or digital space, you have to have a way where, where data is very mobile and, and malleable. You have to have a way to demonstrate that this information is the single version of the truth, but nothing has been done to tamper with it. Or if something has been done to tamper with it, there is a record of that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Uh, which is something that, that I you know, recommended to the National Identification System team in Jamaica, that serious consideration of, of blockchain technology be incorporated into at least the the management um, portion of the NIDS system because another hang-up people have with, with, with NIDS is trusting the people who are the gatekeepers of that thing. Absolutely. Trusting the guy who you're giving the data to. Absolutely. Right? People don't trust people. Yeah. So if you had some sort of way to say, look, even if you don't trust the guy that or girl that you're giving that information to, the system itself has certain controls in it which you can, you know, gain access to that will show you everything that has happened with the information that is in the government's custody. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you could guarantee that to citizens, they wouldn't have the trust issues that they have with national identification system because face it, that's really where the hang-ups are. They don't trust government and really the people within government. Within government, right. Your information in a in a you know reasonable and fair way. Right? But if you could say, look, one, you would be in control of that information. Two, if you don't like how it's being dealt with, um, there is laws for recourse, right? Mm-hmm. Protection. And and three, if you are this the sovereign keeper of your information in such a way that you can then tell the government or whoever is interacting with your information whether you want them to use it or not and how they you know should use it then then you know people might get the warm and fuzzies if if that's the kind of scenario that that existed and from a technology standpoint that is possible okay okay right so so so, so I, I mean you, you know we were having a discussion um before earlier um where i was explaining you know the whole idea of of um, compartmentalizing information and only giving information that that somebody needs, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, I cited a case where a lot of times somebody might ask you for your age, right? Mm. But you give them your date of birth. Right. From which they get your age. The problem with that is if they ask you for your age, you should only give them your age. So if you say, somebody says, what's your age? I say, well, I'm 47. That's all they should need. They don't need to know that, oh, um, if you want my age, here's my date of birth, which is 
you know, you know, January 5th, 1975. Because now in doing that, you haven't only given them your age. You've given them day, month, and year. And that information is a lot more than just 47. There's a lot more value to a whole bunch of people and systems. Yes. Because I can get a lot of information from a date of birth that I can't get from an age. And what information is that? Humorous. <laughs> so, so look, you have a lot of people who, I mean, let me go from some extreme cases. You have a lot of people who, um, when they use their passwords or create their passwords, they're using uh, birth information. That's correct. Right? Um, but also, um, if somebody asks me my age, um, and I give them my date of birth, now they know what month I was born in. Yep. And they know what day. Yep. Right? Um, month now gives me um, some very interesting profiling information, you know, your, your sign, um, what you will most likely be doing during that month. During yeah. that day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it also will tell me when, oh, and, and get this. If I'm a firearm holder, I know when that person's firearm license expires. If I have a driver's license, I know when that expires. Because these things expire on birthdays, right? Um, if, if, I'm, um, uh, if I'm born in a certain month, um, then chances are, I was conceived nine months before that, right? So, so you start to, to, to get information not only about the person, but their parents. <laughs> you know, and, you know I, I asked to go, to, for us to go down that road a little bit because it's become so standard, um, you know, for people to, you know, say, hey, give me your birth date information versus just your age. And, and how you break it down in terms of which piece of information is of value to whom really kind of brings it home um, significantly when we're just simply asking for somebody's age versus asking for the birth date. Yeah. Right. And then there's some, there's some, there's some um, uh, other identifiers that are based on birth date or date of birth information. And if you have the full date of birth information, you can then guess what those other numbers are. Right. So so some people who are very um, in tune to TRNs can tell you based on your TRN number when you got it. Mm. It's a lot of stuff like that where 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 we take some of this information for granted. And absolutely what you kind of want to get to is a state where when I'm being asked for information. You set up a, a situation where the, the people who are asking me for this information or the systems that are asking for these informations have to function in such a way that they adopt what is called zero-knowledge proofs, right? So, zero, so this is another concept that's, that falls under you know, things like self-sovereign identity. Zero-knowledge proofs means that I can provide you information without giving you details, but you can then be assured that the information I'm providing you because of how I'm providing it to you is authentic. 
mm. right? And you don't need to 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 question me. You just need to question the source. And if the source is is um authentic and an authority, then that's all you need. Right? So we do that now because um if I come to you with my driver's license or my passport, right? People say, um, if I bring my driver's license or bring my passport, that's all they need to validate that I am who I say I am. But every one of these things can be forged. Every single one. One. Two, the person who you give the driver's license to and the passport to, they have to be able to determine in, in and very, 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 very few people can do this, to determine if that form of identification is legitimate, right? Mm. So if I give you a forged driver's license, how does the clerk at tax office or, or, or the bank teller know that it is forged? They're not an expert in, in knowing all of the, the nuances of a driver's license that will determine if it's legit or not. They say, well, okay, the a driver's license. Here's a driver's license number, which, by the way, many people look at as a theorem, and it's not. The driver's license number is actually on the back of the driver's license. But, but how do you know that it is valid? Right. The only way to know that is if you went back to the issuing authority and confirmed with them that this piece of of plastic that this person gave to me was actually issued by you in a digital age with things like national IDs, self-sovereign identity, and zero-knowledge proofs, that can be done seamlessly. Yeah. And that's what we call you engender trust. Mm. And these things that have to be, be considered and, and contemplated as part and parcel of national identification systems and digital societies, right? Because NIDS is not the end-all of the digital society that we want to get. It is a critical component of it, but by itself, it won't make it happen. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it seems, it sounds true. We, we have a, still a lot, lot of groundwork um, to, to get to and everything. But let's say, let's, let's paint a, a very relatable picture of, say, for instance, we, you know, the government is using, you know, the self-sovereign identity, blockchain um, concept and, and, and technology. We have, you know, the legislative framework um, in place, you know, there has been, you know, lengthy and, you know, relatable communication to the Jamaican citizens for them to be able to personalize the benefits of of having a a NIDS number and a NIDS card. On a day-to-day basis, say, for instance, you and I now have, have a NIDS number and a NIDS card. And we all know that the the, the, the tax um, administration tax administration um, officers are um, offices are some of the worst places you can be on certain parts and everything. How yeah. will how will having a NIDS number or a NIDS card help me as you know you and I will have it? How, walk walk us through how having an, an, a NIDS um, number a NIDS NIDS card would make that interaction with government way better and I can actually say, oh my God, that was that was actually a breeze and I feel good about it. Yeah, right. So um so or any, or any other sort of experience you think that would be best to demonstrate that. Right. So so having a NIDS ID, which is a very unique number, um 
uh, like I said before, um, establishes that you are who you say you are. All right. So when you walk into um, uh, the, the, let's say, the tax office, um, one of the things that, that you always want to, to, to be able to do is renew something or pay for something, right? And right now, you have to walk into the tax office to do it. Why? Because that process is a process of validation. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah? Um, uh, even, even if you don't go in there and do it, um, you may have a bearer go in and do some, but the bearer has to walk with some documents. Right. The documents themselves serve as the validation. Right. Now, having a needs identifier or even a card, an intelligent or a smart card, allows you now to say if you go online or if you go to a kiosk. Um, so kiosk means you don't need to interact with a person. You can now interact with a machine and it is through using your needs card, you may swipe it at the machine. The machine immediately gathers all the necessary information for the transaction that you want. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, and you effect the transaction to the point where if you have to pay something, you don't have to walk with money because you can reach to a point where if it is linked to your bank account, which uses your national identifier because it is the unique identifier that says you are who you say you are to validate that this person has X number, has, has an account with us. Um, that system can then say, well, this person um, would like to conduct a transaction on this kiosk and pay this bill. Now, think about how frictionless that could be when you go say, I want to, to pay a traffic ticket, go in, swipe my card, it pulls up all my information. Oh, and by the way, because the traffic ticket information referenced my NIDS ID, the system already knows all the traffic ticket information. And then it pulls all of that up and says, would you like to pay to say yes? Who do you bank with? NCB. And would you like to deduct this from your NCB account? Yes, thank you. Boom, click buy. Now that can all take place in, in, in about five minutes. Yeah. Uh, Think about yeah. that right now by going to tax office. Yeah. Come, it does not take five minutes. Right. <laughs> so, so you can now use kiosks. And in fact, you don't have to go to tax office. Yeah. You, you can do this online. Anywhere. You could do it online. You could put it in a supermarket. You could put it in, 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 a, in, a, in a mall, right? Because what's happening is what I just described to you required no cash. Yeah. None. It was an entirely digital transaction. So now I don't have to work with cash. Not a benefit, <laughs> not a personal benefit. So, so think, about, and, 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 think about buying a car. You can't do impulse car buying in Jamaica. It's impossible. Simply because... Interaction between a car dealer, tax office, um, you know, um, you know, registering the car and all these things is such a tedious process, right? The last car I bought, I could look at the car two weeks before I could actually drive it. 
because it was sitting there, but it had to get registered and it had to get insurance and all of these things. All of those processes can, through using technologies bolstered by a national ID and underlying system, can make those processes seamless, yeah. quick, way more efficient, and not subject to fraud and bureaucracy. And if you think about it, corruption is because of bureaucracy. Yep. Right? Because if things were seamless, then a man wouldn't try to go around the corner and pay somebody. Yeah. If they didn't have to sp- if they had to spend whole days, they didn't have to, you know, carry all these documents, if they didn't have to be asking so many people so many questions, all those exactly. things. Um, then it, it wouldn't have the bureaucracy, and of course, it wouldn't have the corruption. Because corruption just means that can I pay somebody um, to buy some time back so I can get out of here as quick as I can? Yeah. Right? yeah. So when you incorporate these things, you start to reduce bureaucracy, then you start to magically see certain forms of corruption disappear because now you have systems that are self auditing. So, and, and if, if, if nefarious activity is occurring, it is immediately flagged and seen. You don't have to do a, do a, a year-long investigation to find out what happened. Mm. It's immediately flagged. And when you use certain technologies like blockchain, you can't remove these things. You can't tamper with these things because when transactions are tampered with, red flags go up. And are visible. Right. So if you're trying to do a little, you know, nefarious activity, that nefarious activity will be recorded and you can't change it. Right? And when you go to fix it, that too will be recorded. Right? And these kinds of things through use of, of the you know technologies like blockchain and so on significantly reduce instances of corruption and engender trust, gotcha. right? And that is, that is a critical thing that has to be seriously contemplated when you're talking about digital society because you can go digital but still have the same problems that you have in a non-digital space. And I would tell you, they could get 10 times worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's on a, on a nice um, note to sort of, a, um, sort of a summarize things. Because, I mean, I wanted this to be a really kind of detailed, definitive discussion around a national ID system. Given, you know, it, the fact that we, we, we had a, a sort of a um, false start, as it were, in, in terms of the first go-around in terms of the legislation and communication to, to Jamaican citizens. And we have a, we have, we're ripe with opportunity right now because, you know, under the cover of COVID-19 and a pandemic, and we are forced to work from home, to engage with, um, with, with, the, with our various businesses in a more digital way, and to do things, to stay alive in, in business, we have to be, be adopting certain things. To be able to feed ourselves and our family, we have to, you know, go online to get certain things done. It kind of brings to the fore um, that we need to talk more about our elements of digital society, of a digital society, and what that is. We need to communicate with individuals how becoming a digital society is of personal benefit to them on a daily basis. We need, to, we need to definitely help them to understand that having this one definitive national ID system that will they will need nothing else but this NIDS number and this NIDS card will again be of daily benefit to them, you know, where they can trust 
um, you know, what is happening to information. They can choose what is happening in, in their information. There are systems that, that have checks and balances and technologies that, are, that have te- checks and balances um, that, you know, it help them to engender that trust. It saves them time. It allows them to be more, more efficient and to do business with government on so many different, different levels. And so this whole issue of, um, you know, we do have some work to, to get done in terms of finalizing our legislation. And I do hope that they, that, you know, you raise in a discussion around, you know, self-sovereign identity and, you know, using blockchain is considered um, to be baked into the legislation and to be baked into the communication and 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 um, and what we need to kind of move this 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 forward because you know we live in a digital world this is the digital age and we can't sometimes take forever to get to a point and I'm glad that I'm you know this is a benefit um, you know fortunate or unfortunate of COVID that it forces us to yeah. think and also to act quickly um, because yeah. we have no choice. You know yeah. what I mean? And that is just um, um, a beautiful thing. So thank you very much, Trevor um, Forrest, CEO of 876 Solutions. Um, we'll put in our show notes where you can find out some more about self-sovereign identity and, and about block- blockchain. And of course, you can, you know, where to get in touch with Trevor. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode. In the first season of Silicon Career Podcast, where, of course, as usual, I'm sharing with you stories about carbon entrepreneurs that I find online and out there in the wild who are using technology and very innovative thinking to launch all kinds of digital businesses. So of course, I'm going to be telling you who they are and what they're doing. So in every episode, we're taken to that part of uh, the Caribbean that's beyond the beach and going digital. Thank you so much. And remember, whatever platform you're listening on, remember to leave a comment, to give us a five-star rating, and of course, be generous. Tell people about the Silicon Carib podcast. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Ingrid Riley. Take care.